All right, good morning. How you doing? Uh, usually in our service, we have a scripture reader come up, and I told Stephen this time, just in lieu of time, I'll cover the uh, scripture throughout the sermon uh, today, and we're going to touch on stuff. I'm going to be rolling today because we're, uh, we're moving along, and we want chili, right? Um, and we want to move before somebody who's already had the chili gets moving along, okay? So there we go. Um, I said it is sponsored by Bino today, so that's where we go. Good to see everybody here today. Um, we are just going to... Um, start a new series. Um, I don't know whether I'm going to stay fully here. I may pick it back up after Easter. Um, One of the reasons why is um, next uh, Sunday, which is March 3rd. Yes, I did say March. Hard to believe already. March 3rd on the History Channel, there is going to be a mini-series. Are you guys old enough to remember mini-series? They were like television shows that went on for a week or or so. Um, During the whole month of March, the History Channel with Mark Burnett of Survivor fame and Roma Downey of Touched by an Angel have come together and they have done a mini-series called The Bible. And it's done very well. And we may cover some of those topics along with it to challenge the church to go ahead and read that. Um, we have some small group information. Not sure if we're going to get that together in enough time. But if you're interested, you can talk to Stephen Stiles. Stephen was right there. And he may be able to coordinate a group or two. Um, good information. I think it would be really cool because you don't have to go someplace. You can watch it in your house. All right? So just keep that in mind. As, and before we know it, it'll, uh, in a month from now, we'll be looking at Easter. And um, the curtain will be up and we'll have this place packed out for, praise God, our last Easter in Northeast Middle School when we get to our new building. So we'll be excited about that. I already told the praise team, get ready for two, at least two services next year at Easter, but that'll be fun. Okay, um, one of the things in life, this is called Close Encounters, and there are certain people in my life that I look back to and I've had an encounter with that really kind of made, made my day. Uh, one of those was a guy named Pete Rose. Anybody know Pete Rose? My, my parents, I was like 19 or 20. I was probably even older than that. But I got a chance to go ahead and meet Pete Rose. And Pete Rose was my idol when I was growing up, my baseball idol. A Charlie Hustle, I loved him. And I got to uh, see him and um, he got a bat signed by him and a big Wheaties poster that was signed by him. And it, it like made my day. And I, another time, I was at a Promise Keepers conference down in Washington, D.C., and um, while I was down there, I got into an elevator, and when I was in the elevator, this really tall man walked in, and this was during the early 90s, late 80s, and this really, this really tall guy came in, and it was a magic convention, and it was a guy um, who you know is, I think it's ha- uh, Harry, I forget his last name, but he was the judge on Night Court. Remember him? Yeah, and I just was like, oh, how cool, and I didn't say a word because he is a massively tall human being. Um, he was probably as tall as Bull from the show as well. And then um, my other claim to fame was, uh, yes, I got to meet um, Robert Schuller, who made my gra- grandmother. I hunted him down um, in the Crystal Cathedral, and I think the police were going to jump on me. Uh, but the one that was probably one of the best was when we were going to Israel, and I shared this before, and I got to meet Mr. Rogers in the bathroom. <laughs> Isn't that cool? And he said, won't you be my neighbor? And, and I was like, not, not until you wash your hands. No. Um, but no, Mr. Rogers, he was on his way to a, um, to a missions trip in Russia. And he was actually an ordained pastor in the Presbyterian Church. And what a, a really nice guy. And we were stalking him as he came out of the bathroom to go ahead and talk to him. 
one of the things that we look in life is faith is a journey. And there's a question I have written on your bulletin there. And it says, um, where, are you, where are you on, and fill this in, your faith journey? Where are you on your faith journey? Now, I gave you some options there, five different options. One is a crowd. Are you part of the crowd that you're kind of way off? You're not sure about church. You've seen too many hypocrites. And there's a, uh, you're not really sure about God or Jesus and, and this whole thing. You're not really sure whether he can meet your needs. So you're part of the crowd. Or you're curious that you look around at your culture and world and you thought you had all the answers, but you don't. Things may have been well a few weeks ago, a few months ago, but now it's falling apart. Or maybe it was... Um, it's good now, but it was falling apart a couple months ago. And you just realize that everything in your life is just on the edge of falling apart. Or maybe you're converted, that you've crossed over from being self-centered to God-centered. You had an appointment where you said, okay, I believe who you are, Jesus. I believe that for my life, and I want you to come into my life, my heart. You made him your savior, savior and you've started that process, and you're early in this process as well. Or maybe... You've journeyed through that, and now you're the other C word, complacent. Where you accepted Jesus, but you just kind of settled in, and you're like, I got my ticket punched for heaven, I'm all good. Or maybe, just maybe, you're committed. We have no problem being bold for Jesus or sharing your faith. You share your money, your resources, your time, your effort, and you're really committed, and you say, I am ready to do whatever it is for Christ Jesus. All those things are there. So I just want you to circle the one. Uh, don't worry, you can cover it up with the person next to you if you, if you aren't quite sure what it is. Uh, you don't want anybody to see it, or you can mentally circle it. But then I want you to ask this other question. What is it going to take for you to go from the next level of where you are? What is it going to take? And what I find out in my life is it usually takes an unexpe- unexpected event in your life to have you move on from the level that you are. For instance, the loss of a job. When I got out of college and I worked at a place and I had a job for a while, uh, I was working this job and doing awesome, and then all of a sudden I found out in the early, mid-90s about corporate downsizing. Um, And, you know, then I was turning to God anyway. Please, I'm going to get married in a little while. I need the job. Anybody ever turn to God when that shift happens? Or maybe you've gone to the doctor and the doctor tells you you have an incurable disease and you go, God, I need you. And that changes your level from being maybe complacent to being committed. Or maybe things just aren't right in your life and you're looking for that special someone and you pray and everything else. You think, I'm never going to spend my life with someone and you pray and you pray and you pray and then all of a sudden God gives it to you and you're like, wow. Or maybe it's an accident or a home foreclosure or something else. Maybe it's an addiction that has hold of you. An unexpected event out of your control makes you desperate. Anybody been desperate in your life? I have. So we are beginning the series, and what I find out is desperate situations can lead to desperate faith, and desperate faith takes us to a different spiritual level. Every time in my life, I've gone to a different spiritual level when I become desperate. And so we're going to begin this series today called Close Encounters. And today we're going to talk about two people, very quickly. We're going to talk about two people who had a close encounter with Jesus and have forever changed their lives. And we're going to go one place today, Luke chapter 8. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open to Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. And I want to give you a little bit of background here. 
Jesus has, is hanging around the uh, Sea of Galilee. It's a big lake. Um, of course, it does have some, the Jordan River that pours into it. So as he has that, he has just come from the other side where it was a uh, Gentile side where he's cast demons out of this guy named Legion. They ask him to leave. He gets in a boat, and he's coming back. And that's what takes us to this section now. He's coming back on a boat. He had a couple different sides to go to, Gentile, Jewish side. Here he comes back to the ones who like him. And it says... And you can see this in your, in your bulletin. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Have you ever been extremely exhausted? And, and you may have been on a business trip. You may have had just a busy day. You're extremely, extremely exhausted. And as soon as you get home, there's a billion people in your house. And you're just like, oh, yay. And everybody wants something at that moment. And, and this is what, how Jesus left. At this point, he had reached pretty much rock star status. But everybody wanted something from him. They just couldn't wait to get hold of him. And so we read further along that as they were all expecting him, a whole area was out there waiting for him. A man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at his feet. Now, who, what does it mean to be a synagogue leader? Let's make it equal with what we have today. It would have been the person who was responsible for the worship situation. It would have been a combination between Wayne and me and um, other people who do different things. They were, the, they were the party coordinator. They made sure your worship was all coordinated. And considering the synagogue was such an important part of the Jewish life, not only the religious but the social life, they had a very, very important position. And Jairus comes and he, he plead, goes down to Jesus' feet. He pleads. We find out that he was a man who was desperate because his 12-year-old daughter was dying. Now, this is the first time I've done this that I've had a 12-year-old daughter. And it hit me as I was reading this, the desperation he must have felt. This past year when Rachel was in the hospital... Um, when she was in the hospital, I went ahead and we felt helpless at that moment and felt desperate. And you're talking about taking your faith to a different level. It does. But when they know that she's dying and can't do anything about it, he runs to Jesus. A Jewish leader in the synagogue kneels at somebody's feet who other people aren't too sure about. He would have been a Pharisee by being a leader of the synagogue because they, they had synagogue worship. And yet... The Pharisees, we know, did not like Jesus very much. This tells you the desperation of his life. And so, as we look further here, we find out that here he is, desperate in his faith. And what I find in my life is that as he falls at Jesus' feet, and the crowds, look at what it says here, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. Now, if I had everybody, and we're not going to do it because of time, if I had everybody that is in this room right now come up and form a line, and I tried to walk through it, and you guys tried to get hold of me, which I know you all want to, <laughs> and you're reaching and grabbing, you all need something from me. If you needed something from me, and you were desperate for it, and I start walking down this way, I guarantee you everybody's going to crowd in and try to tear me apart. The disciples actually became like, bodyguards during this time, sorting through like this. And so here's, picture the scene, all these people mobbing Jesus, kind of like when the Beatles came to the, to the country, or to update it for you younger people, when Justin Bieber was in New York, 
with Celine, Selena Gomez, and Melissa and I happened to be there. I got a great picture of Melissa waiting for Selena Gomez and, uh, and Justin Bieber, I, and I filmed it, and she's like, oh, that's great. Um, she's there with all these teeny boppers, and dad's going, okay, come on, let's go. Um, but they were lined up around the block just to have them sign something from the Biebs, you know? And so if I was the Biebs and you all attacked me, that's how it would be, and that's how it was for Jesus. He was moving slowly along. Jairus is with him. His disciples are pushing people away. And as he's doing that, all of a sudden we see this next situation. Because when we are desperate, you will risk than rather go along with the crowd. Look at this. These, both of these people in desperate situations are willing to risk whatever it takes rather than to just go along with what people want them to do. The Pharisees would not have been happy about Jairus going here. And this next lady even kicks it up another notch. Let's look at what... She does. And I have the scripture underneath. Why did Jesus want her to come forward? It says, uh, and I'll read it from here. I'll give you a little background history because I don't have the full scripture there. But as they're walking along, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And it's down at the bottom of your your sheet. Uh, And it says, and there was a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. But no one could heal her. She came up behind him, touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately she stopped bleeding. In other scriptures, it says that she says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, right here, the cuff of his pants, then I'll be healed. Desperate situations cause you to risk. Why do I say that? And we talked a little bit about this lady. She had a bleeding condition for 12 years, just hemorrhaging for 12 years. By the religious nature, she was ceremonially unclean and could not go to synagogue worship. If she was in public, she had to wear something or yell something that she was unclean. I want you to practice that this week. Wherever you go, go into Walmart after you're done filling up with chili. And if you fill up with enough, they'll know you're unclean. And just go ahead and say, unclean, unclean, and watch the people bolt. If you just yelled, unclean, they're going to look at you, and you're saying, unclean, and they're going to go, whoa, hey, think you got cooties or something. This woman had to live this way for life. If she came through that door, we would have to make her get out without touching her. If she touched you, remember cooties? If I touch Chris, he has cooties. If he touches anybody else, they got cooties. Remember that when you were younger? Anybody have cooties? And so you always had that. You had to put on cootie protection. This is where this woman was. Other scriptures tell us that she has suffered under doctor's care for years. It's interesting, the doctor, Luke, does not put that in there. And she had suffered under doctors, spent all her money. She was financially destitute. She was physically an outcast. She was spiritually not allowed to come into contact to worship. And she was a complete outcast. Couldn't worship. Couldn't be around anyone. If, she, if the disciples saw her coming, they would say, get away, get away. But she crawled. Remember how the crowd was? The crowd was all pressed in tight, like this, pressed in real tight, everybody trying to get to Jesus. And it says that she crawled. I didn't say that she crawled, but she had to have because the hem of his garment is not up here. She had to get herself in her unclean nature, in her desperate nature. She crawled through the dirt, getting stepped on, getting kicked, and all those things, just because she believed if she touched the end of his garment, she'd be healed. Scripture tells us this. 
it says, she came up behind him, touched his cloak, and immediately she stopped. The bleeding stopped. My question in your life is, are you desperate? Are you desperate for an encounter with the Lord? I found some interesting statistics about risk. If you are afraid of risk, let me share some brief statistics with you. If you're afraid of risking, avoid riding in cars because 20% of all fatal injuries occur within cars. But you say, okay, I'm going to stay home. Stop. 17% of all fatal accidents occur within the home. You doing the math? You say, okay, I'm going to just walk on the street. Stop. 14% of all accidents happen to pedestrians. And you say, well, I'm just going to go camp out in the hospital. The 32% of all fatalities occur in hospitals. Makes sense. There's sick people there. They often die, and they're taken there, and they officially die. The last part, one thousandth of one percent of deaths occur in worship services. So let's use logic here. The safest place you can ever be in the world is at church. So let's all just stay here. What do you think? We got, we got everything. It is the safest place on earth to be in church. This woman had reached a point, her desperation caused her to risk absolutely everything. It was a miracle. It was a miracle. A fantastic miracle that was brought on. I have in the front sheet of your uh, bulletin, a miracle is an unexplained event that is different from the normal laws of nature. You couldn't explain this away. What causes healing today? What causes miracles today? Many of us can go ahead and see on television where um, you'll see some televangelists that would go ahead and sell some hankies that they sweated on, and you can pay $19.95, which is always $19.95, and you can go ahead and get that. Or some of you may have seen over the last years that you can get on eBay and buy grilled cheeses, a Jesus that is grilled cheese and that burn on it, it kind of looks like Jesus. And people say, if you look at that, you'll be healed. Or you paint your door in a different way and it starts to crack in a way and you say, oh my gosh, it's Jesus. And people will flock there to go ahead and look at your door. Me, I'd say, paint it again. Those things don't heal, but we want to believe in something instead of believing in Jesus. Or you may, you know, I, I, you know, I coach and I like athletics, and it's really funny. Every a- level of athletics I've been at, even up to the pros, I see the, the ritual that people go through. People are crossing everything, hoping that Jesus helps them cross this line, hit that homer. And I just got to tell you, Jesus does not care. I don't think he cares at the end of the game. If he did, he hates me because I'm a Philadelphia fan, right? And I've, they, I've seen them snatch vic- uh, defeat from the jaws of victory several times. It was not touching the clothes of Jesus, but it was her faith. It was her risky faith that brought healing to Jesus, that brought healing from Jesus. Now, I love this statement here. Why did Jesus want her to, he starts to ask her to come forward. And why did he do that? Let's look at this in verse 45. Jesus says, who touched me? Isn't that a funny statement? Remember when I said the crowds are crashing in around him? They're pulling on him, yanking on him. He said, who touched me? And I love what Peter said. Peter says, "Uh, Master, who the heck hasn't touched you? Are you seeing what's going on here? You who? He said, no, no, no. This touch was different because I felt power flow from me. Your desperate faith will cause Jesus to bring power to your desperate situation. It was a miracle. We use the term miracle 
in all different ways. A miracle is an unexplained event that is contrary or different than the laws of nature. Many people I heard just a couple weeks ago saying the ravens had a miracle season. No, they didn't. They just were better than everybody on the right day. And they played harder than everybody on the right day. You know, uh... Several years ago, I was looking up pictures for a miracle, and I had this picture of the miracle on the Hudson. Remember that? Where the guy land the plane? And that's not a miracle. I'm sure God's angels were around that, but it is a state. If you ask any pilot, and if the conditions are good enough on the water, they can land a plane on the water without it falling apart. That's not a miracle. You can tell by the laws of physics. Yes, God, I believe, was involved with, with that, and uh, the, the pilot there shares about his faith. But you can explain those things. A miracle is where God intervenes where nobody else can. And the laws of nature are there. The woman received the miracle because it could not be described by the laws of nature. And the woman could not hide. So I I was reading this. I asked myself this question. Why did Jesus say, "Who, who touched me? Who was it? Come here, stand up. Why did he go through all this? Because I believe there's four quick things that we're going to touch on. Number one, and this is in your bulletin, because it was good for her. Why was it good for her? For 12 years, she's been told she's no good, she's unclean, she's useless, she's worthless. And some of you may have been told for 12 years, 50 years, that you are no good, you're worthless, you're useless. But when you come to Jesus in in a desperate faith, guess what? He makes you clean and makes you his child, which gives you so much worth. And an amazing, it was an amazing victory for her. Now she was whole. She was whole physically, emotionally, mentally, and socially. It was also good for the crowd around them. Now they had to accept her. They made her whole. The next time she wanted to be included, she had to be. Some of you may have been walking through life and have an area where you don't feel like you're included, but I'm here to tell you, you are of value, and God loves you, and guess what? If you don't believe it, go back, in, and many of us go with this depression through life. Go back a couple weeks and listen to the app for that, right? Online. You are a child of God, and nothing should change the way you feel about you, and, the, and no matter who thinks about you in that way. I think the third reason it was a good for Jesus It was good for Jesus because Jesus got to let everybody know, I am the only source of power and authority that you can trust in, not in anything else. And for some of you today, you are desperate and you're in a situation that you can't find a way out and you feel like you're closed in. And guess what? Jesus is the only way who has the power and authority to bring you up out of that situation. And ultimately, I think it was good for us here today to learn to reach out to Jesus and receive a blessing We've got to be part of the, we can be part of the crowd. You today can be part of this worship service with some really cool songs, with some really good chili, with some really good people next to you, and you can miss out on the blessing that God has for you if you're not ready to receive it. If you are not ready to risk your heart and your mind and your life to go ahead and try that. You see, as I look at worship, worship takes our part and your part, meaning that throughout the week, we put together a service. We put it together in what God wants us to do. We meet and do music and go through things, and it all wraps together. But we can put together the best service ever. But if your heart and your mind, if you aren't doing your part, having your heart and mind ready before you even get here to say, God, I want to have an encounter with you in my desperation in my life, then it won't matter a hill of beans. 
In verse 47, Jesus says, your faith has healed you. And I've always been fascinated at this point. Jesus is headed with Jairus at this point. All of a sudden, this woman interrupts, and then this guy comes up. Let's look what this guy comes up and says in verse 49. He's interrupted. It says, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. (coughs) Your daughter is dead. (coughs) Don't bother the teacher anymore. (coughs) Now, I think this guy needs to read a book on how to win friends and influence people. He just comes up and says, hey, your daughter's dead. Leave the guy alone. Jairus starts to walk away. Jesus says, just believe. There are areas of your life that you believe are dead. There are areas of your life that others have told you are dead. And guess what? I'm going to tell you, just believe. Just believe who he is. Just believe what he can do. Don't be afraid and roll on. Imagine what he thought. If we hadn't stopped, we would be there and she'd be well. What I find is when we are in desperate need for help, people never get there soon enough. And guess what? When we're in desperate need, the answers never come quick enough for us, do they? It may be like a situation where you are in financial straits with your home and you go to the bank and try to get a refi before they foreclose on your home. And you get ready and you walk out uh, of the door of the day you're packing. And then you go to the mailbox one last time and you look and you see that the bank has let you refi it. It's too late. Correct? Or I know when I was in Lewis, I was there two and a half years. And there had been all this discussion about um, helping us with housing. My wife up here and family up here. I'm down there running back and forth. A crazy time for us. And when I announced on the week that I was leaving, I had a guy come up to me and say, Hey, I wish I had uh, I, I'd known this before. I have a house that you could have got into. Too late, right? We have those situations that are too late when we're desperate in our lives. In verse 51, as we wind this down today, they start going, they arrive at the place, and when they get there, there are people wailing and mourning. In the Jewish tradition, what they had, they had professional wailers, and, um, and what would happen is, when you died, you were buried that day. They knew she was dead, because... She died, was getting ready to be buried, and they had professional whalers. So they were hired. So Jesus comes in and says, oh, no, 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 stop crying. She's not dead. She's asleep. And they, the, the whalers start laughing because they didn't have anything vested in her. Jesus said, get your rear end out of here. I'm going to show you what, what's going on. And he says, little girl, get up. Raises her from the dead. Once again, miracle number two. What we find out is in the desperation of Darius, only Jesus can raise the dead areas of our lives. Through that father's desperate faith, he healed her. So will you take the next level today? I want to show this brief video about desperate faith. I know we're running on, and I'm going to wrap this up really quickly after this video. Please show that. Four years ago, Haley was diagnosed with medulloblastoma, which is a form of brain cancer. And that, at that point, that changed our lives. We discovered the tumor by taking Haley to the doctor what, for what we thought was allergies. She was experiencing early morning vomiting, and when we couldn't get that to stop, we went to the doctor again. At that point, she asked Haley to stand on one foot, and I didn't understand why she was doing that. Haley couldn't balance on one foot, so she turned to me and said, we need to do an MRI. She ordered an emergency MRI. We went and did that. I wasn't worried. She really wasn't that sick. 
And three hours later, the phone rang and the doctor said um, that they had found a racquetball-sized malignant brain tumor and that we needed to get her to Phoenix Children's Hospital right away. Unfortunately, two weeks later, they did a follow-up MRI on the spine and discovered the cancer actually had spread throughout her spine. So at that point, they couldn't give us a survival rate at all. And we went from a great survival rate to no, no hope. As I was driving down the road when Pam told me, it was just a... was just to say, no way, not my baby. This can't be. And it was at that point that we had to empty ourselves <laughs> of anything man or medicine could do and at that point, our faith, that was all we had. After Pam and I um, were through the shock and awe, and after we realized what we were facing with, the interesting thing is, is I thought we would ask God, why did you do this to us? Um, why are we going through this? And, and instead, what, what seemed to come out between Pam and I was, was not why, but what? God, what will you do with this? How will you use this? Because I know you don't operate in random acts of pain. Um, I know you won't put um, Haley through this just because you, you want us to be challenged, but in fact, you want to do something with this. And at that point we said, okay, if we're going to go through this journey, then we want to make sure that we don't miss the message that God has in store. At one point, one of the doctors uh, who told me that it wasn't likely, in fact, don't expect to see any improvement when we're all done with the radiation. We just hope it hasn't grown. And I said, hey doc, what if, what if when we're all said and done, you take that MRI and it's gone? And he laughed and he said, don't you get your hopes up. That's not gonna happen. And we said, okay, let's just see what our God can do. And so, we started to send out prayer requests and people from all over. The cry of God's people moved his heart and, uh, and he healed her. When I first found out, I was scared, but then I realized that God could get me through it and I knew that he would. You know, that was one of the amazing things for Pam and I. Um, at times when we would have doubts and fears and in the deep, darkest moments when we would uh, listen to some of those voices of fear and confusion. Um, Haley just seemed to have this amazing childlike faith. We came home when we first discovered that she uh, was cancer free and the doctor had called us and Pam and I were excited and we came in the door and we were crying and we said, Haley, you're never gonna believe this. The doctors just got the results and you're cancer free. And she looked at us and she said, I know that. And we said, you know that. And she said, that's right. She goes, Dad, that's what we've been praying for this whole time. And childlike faith, you know, renewed for Pam and I, uh, the fact that we could believe just like she did. I always wanted to fast forward to the end. I just wanted the, the final MRI. I just wanted to know, did, did it, you know, did he heal her? Um, and, and was it over? And God just kept uh, reminding me 
that it wasn't about the end, it was about the journey, it was about do you trust me? Not do you trust me if the outcome is what you want it to be, do you trust me? Uh, is your faith in the outcome or is your faith in me? And so he caused us to draw near and that encounter with him was a very, very powerful experience. Amazing, huh? How is God working in your life here today? As we finish this service up today, how is God working in your life? Do you invite Jesus to help in your desperate situation? Many of us like the man in that, in that video. We want to fast forward to the answer. We want to fast forward to the end. But it's during those times of suffering and struggle that we move on to the next level. Do you think your desperation is too big or too important or unimportant for God? Do you turn from the only one that can help you in Jesus? Do you overcome your fear by stepping out in faith? Like that woman who crawled through the crowd. Like the man who fell down at Jesus' feet when it should have been the other way around. Because I'm going to tell you something. If you're going through life trying to please others, you will keep from stepping out on faith. If you try to please everybody else in your way. If you look for others' approval, you will always live in fear. No matter where it is. Risk involves trusting God and stepping out of what it, the boat of what is known into the unknown. Faith needs to overcome fear. Remember that doctor said, don't count on it. But he trusted still. He stepped out into the unknown. Do you see interruptions as obstacles or opportunities in your life? If you're goal-oriented in life, life is going to drive you absolutely insane because you're going to get an interruption. Don't always look at it as, as an obstacle. Look at it as, as an opportunity that God wants to use. On top of that, have you ever been home and you get that phone call when you're just walking out the door and it's that person that needs to talk for like a half an hour or more? Stop and let that be a divine appointment from God and let God minister through you. Those Walmart moments when you go in for something for five minutes and you end up talking to somebody in an aisle for 45, let God use those. I know we have a worship leader because uh, we used uh, in Martin's grocery store, many of you have heard this before, um, that's where Wayne and I were talking about cell phones. And I was mad at Lisa because she made me go get ice cream. That was a God appointment. If, I hadn't, uh, if Lisa hadn't annoyed me to death and I hadn't gone to get ice cream, I don't know that this would even be possible here today. And there's many of those other things. Do you have an along the way or out of the way attitude, meaning that you're going from point A to point B, get out of my way? A lot of times many of us are on our way, so fast on our way to church that we forget to see the people that need Jesus around us. Get out of my way, I've got to go to church. Or are we along the way where, you know what, we've got to stop and feed somebody or talk to somebody and love somebody in the midst of our schedule. We need to pay attention to the world by living like Jesus did. You know, when I was growing up, we had revivals and we had camp meetings, and those things are awesome. But guess what? As I see Jesus just met people where they were in daily life. In your daily week, everybody who you meet, look at them as an opportunity to share Jesus. And, all, and lastly, do you stay close to God in word, in prayer, in life? Why? Because when you wake up in the morning and you stay close to God, do you pray for today to be another opportunity to reach, to reach somebody for the Lord or for your desperate faith to help take you to another level? I'm going to ask the praise team to come up now. We're going to do something a little bit different due to time and uh, chilly and not uh, drive our uh, Sunday school teachers crazy today. I'm going to go to our last song, and then I'm going to go to the back, and then afterwards I'm going 
um, stick around. Stephen, I'm going to ask if, um, if you can kind of hang up around the altar today after this song. After this song, we're going to do the final song. We're going to talk about taking it to the streets. All right, so we want you to stand up. And then afterwards, I'm going to ask if the praise team would then go into your great name after I dismiss. And then if you need to pray, just we're going to have people here to just pray with you. If you have a desperate need and you just need to reach out and touch the Lord. Everybody else, we're going to give you an opportunity to go over to the meal. Um, we're just going to ask God to bless it, and we're going to let them go ahead and do that right now. And um, let's just uh, worship the Lord.